We thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth that we can distribute in many different ways this day to those that have ears to hear. We pray that what we say here and do here would be pleasing to you. We pray also that you'll be with many who are searching, who are looking for the truth. And we pray that we might be a tool in your hand to bring that to them. We thank you for many blessings you've given this work, this ministry, and that you would watch over all your people in all that they do. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Well, my wife says, I think we're going to have like two dozen people gone today. Yeah, it's summertime. And then Tim and Alita's ample family shows up and pretty well takes care of that issue. And we're glad to have them with us. Moses had a prayer in Psalm 90. And in verse 10 it says, The days of our lives are 70 years. And if they by reason of strength are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Let's think about those 70 years for just a second. The first 15 are spent in childhood. We spend about 20 years just sleeping. So we've only got about 35 years left of productive work, productive life. And part of that time has to be spent in eating and part of that time spent working. So how much time is really left of your life if you live the promised 70 years for those that love Yahweh? James 4.14 asks, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Paul says, Redeem the time because the days are evil. Not Ephesians 5, 6. Now, evil, well, well, it is, you know, it is evil, but I think what uh, the message was, the days are worthless, they're full of pain, they're full of suffering, which is the Greek for that word. And it's true. This life would be a whole lot better without sin. Sir Isaac Newton, one of my favorite guys, speaking of science, Steve, <coughs> discovered that objects in motion tend to stay in motion, going at the same speed in the same direction unless acted on by a force to change that. He further discovered that objects at rest tend to stay at rest until moved by an outside force. And scientists call this phenomenon inertia. Inertia. Put another way, inertia is the resistance of any physical object to any change in its philosophy. Velocity, resistance. You know, I could have titled this, I guess, resistance, but I thought inertia sounded a little cooler. You know, the principle of inertia works in life as well. It works in the way people accept or don't accept the truth. Why is following the truth so difficult for so many? Why, why is it? We'll talk about that today. The principle is it works in life as well as the natural world. In fact, probably the biggest obstacle 
to change in one's life, to do something that you're not accustomed to, is inertia. It works all the time in tandem with fear of the unknown. I don't do something because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what it might mean. Afraid I might fail. Afraid I won't like it. Afraid, you know, so many different fears. Together, inertia and fear work together. And they work to hinder acceptance of the truth. I've seen this over five decades of work in the ministry. Humans generally stay in their comfort zones unless forced to step out. Being we, by nature, resist change, only a small percentage of exceptional individuals will ever try a new path, will ever try something different, will ever think about going a different route than what they have been on. Yet, these are the very ones Yahweh's calling. You ever notice the ones Yahweh's call are a little bit irregular? (laughs) They They don't fit in with the world. Because they have a different calling. They have their eye on something else. We all have our personal inertias. Most are content with the way that things are. We're, we're, we're okay with it. We're, most are living a low-impact spiritual life and they prefer to keep it that way. They're happy with their life. Don't rock my boat. They like the familiar. familiar. The settled life and faith is less risky What they've grown up with, they're comfortable with. They find the status quo safe and comforting. They don't have to endure questions or criticisms going with the flow because everybody's going that way anyway. Well, besides inertia, tradition is one of the biggest barriers to the truth as well. Tradition acts like inertia in keeping them from making life-impacting changes especially when it comes to accepting truth. The real problem, however, is that the Bible is all about change, and that puts them at loggerheads with the scriptures. The Bible is all about changing your life. Yahshua called out 12 people, 12 people. And when he did, he didn't say to them, well, stay where you are and work from there. Work from home. As nice as that is, he said to Peter, James, John, and the rest, get up and follow me. Get up. Make a change in your life. They dropped their nets and followed him, the fisherman. Maybe you're being called right now. So we hope you don't make one big error. We hope that you don't strain what you are hearing through the filter of your past understanding and church traditions. Because you're actually working at a dead end if you do. The whole idea is to change and follow scripture. What does that say? It says that most of what you find out in nominal worship is wrong. It's wrong. Wrong day, wrong observances, things they eat. The Bible says don't eat. I mean, it goes on and on. They have beliefs, doctrines that don't fit with scripture. They think they're going immediately to heaven. Don't even know why you'd even have a judgment time. Why you'd even have a resurrection if you're already off off and running. You know, the true worshiper must step out in a new direction and give up tired traditions and fallacies. It's the definition of truth. 
If all that old denominational baggage were correct, Yahweh would not be calling out a people for his name. He'd say, stay where you are, you're doing fine. And people think they're doing fine because they never looked into the word, found out, whoops, I guess I'm not doing so well after all. And when they question the leadership, more, more often than not, they'll say, we don't like questions. Or just, just go with the church. It's, it's right. It's been right for 2,000 years. Just go with it and try to shut them off that way. Paul said, if you can't stay, he says, you can't stay where you are and expect progress. In 2 Corinthians 6, 17, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, says Yahweh, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Come out from where you are. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says Yahweh. I want to read this. I went down to the bookstore the other day. They have a bookstore in town trying to uh, get a library going. They have, they're always selling books. I don't know. I guess the ones that they don't need. Uh, this is from the contemporary English version, very uh, chatty type version, but I thought it kind of fit here pretty well. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, Are light and darkness the same? Is Messiah a friend of Satan? Can people who follow the master have anything in common with those who don't? Do idols belong in the temple of Elohim? Are we the temple of the living Elohim, as Yahweh himself says? I will live with these people and walk among them. I will be their Elohim, and they will be my people, Yahweh says. He also, Master also says, leave them and stay away. Don't touch anything that isn't clean. Then I will welcome you and be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, as surely as I am Elohim, the all-powerful. Some might ask, well, how do you know YRM is correct? How, how, do you, how, how can you show me that they're correct? How do you know? Little group out here, you know, in, in the vastness of a sea of religion. You're not a mega group. Well, now maybe not here, but we certainly are online. Uh, many people are tuning in. And just reported in our e-news that since May 17th, we've had more than 25,000 visits to our website. That's over 1,000 a day. So we have a potential to reach a lot of people. And a lot of people are listening. Some people listen for years and never make a move. Oh, I've been watching you guys for three, four years. We have a little survey we send out, and they put that down. I think, how come I've never seen you or heard from you before? Come on. Break loose from that inertia. Do something. Follow the truth and be active in your life. Be active in your faith. Well, anyway, when did Yahweh ever give the narrow way to denominationalism? He said he chose Israel not because they were the greatest, but because they were the fewest of people, the fewest. And he, he likes to start with things small and make them great. That's, that's how he works. Smallest, weakest letters of the alphabet become his name, the all-powerful name of the universe. That's the way he works. He deliberately chose not to work with many. Yahshua chose 12, not 12,000. Yet, look what he accomplished with just those 12, how the, it was exponential growth from those men because they had the truth. 
It's been said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Revolutions start with just a small core of people, and then it grows. Think about it. Then think Yahshua and his 12. The pathway of truth is narrow, it's difficult, and it's not popular. Can't mince words. We can't mince words when it comes to the truth. It's not easy. Yahshua said it's not. You're going to have trials on this popular, uh, on this, I should say this, unpopular pathway. It's not going to be easy. He said in Matthew 7, 14, because straight is the gate. It's an old English word. We still use it. The straits of Gibraltar. It means narrow, a narrowing. A narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Few. Because it's tough, and people don't like tough. Most people don't like a challenge. Some do, and that's what Yahweh is looking for, the ones who are challenged in their faith. So how can denominations with their tens of millions fulfill this prophecy? Few are going to find the truth. Yahshua also had to deal with inertia in those he called, like the rich young man who couldn't leave his wealth to follow him. How about no one came to the wedding supper in his parable? When he called them out, nobody came. Those who chose their own family over Yahshua's family, his people. Resistance to change from the comfort zone of tradition, all of which were evident in the religious establishment of Yahshua's day, they're still evident today. That's just the way man works, I guess, but, uh, you know, we have to follow a different path. They held their traditional ways above Scripture, the same thing today. When someone, someone argues that they... they uh, have been taught what the scriptures say and then never look into the scriptures to prove what they just said. It's kind of telling. Because they fear. They fear of looking into it. You know, the, the lesson is, don't allow the majority to sway your thinking. The majority is always wrong when it comes to the narrow way. It's been proven for the last two thousand, well, more than that, three, four thousand years. <clears throat> Robert Frost wrote a poem that has special meaning for the true worshiper on his walk in truth. You probably read it. It's called The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other. It's just as fair and having perhaps a better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for the passing there, had worn really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves so uh, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. In Matthew twenty-two fourteen, 14, Yahshua said that Yahweh calls many to his truth, yet only a few 
a relatively few show up. And fewer still stick with it. Only a fraction will be chosen to join the kingdom of priests of Yahshua's millennial rule. Only a fraction. He doesn't choose a lot, and even those are going to have those who fall away. Unless they're careful. Have you ever wondered whether you yourself will make the, make the cut? You compare yourself with the dedication of prophets, patriarchs, priests, and what they went through, the apostles, and some of the great men in, in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, and then wonder, and then look at Yahshua and say, man, how can I measure up to that? When you look at the perfect model, how do you feel in comparison? I think it, we all at one time or another have wondered, am I really worthy? Why isn't it easier to be an overcomer? Don't all the roads lead to the kingdom, or is it just the ones less traveled by? You know, many believe that even on easy street, they're going to find salvation. They're going to find the kingdom at the end. They really believe that. That's what they're told. If you believe that, you need to rethink. Because that's not what scripture is teaching us. Yahshua disputed that when he said in Matthew 7, 14, straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few will find it. The narrow way is a lot narrower than most think. If all the great denominations were correct, then there would be millions finding the way to salvation. But even the Apostle Paul, the champion of so many, was ever mindful of his ability to fail. He said in 2 Timothy 4.8 that lest he be always vigilant and be subject to Yahweh even himself could be a castaway. This man who converted, who knows, untold numbers of people all over the Middle East, up into Macedonia, up into even Rome, up that way, southern Europe. He said, I got to watch it. I got to watch myself because I could be a castaway. Now, the mindset of the masses has changed in the last few decades. The liberalism of the world has invaded the church. They've watered everything down, made it all easy, made a, a broad way for everybody. For the vast majority, the truth of the scriptures is more than they can bear. It's their personal challenge that they're unwilling to take. It requires commitment that they don't have. It's not the well-traveled road. It is not smooth and straight and level like most of the popular avenues. People like the easy, the comforting. The way of life leading to salvation demands a lot more than most realize because it requires a commitment of their life. How many are willing to commit their life to live this way, given in this book? Are they really willing to do that? It's a challenge we are all challenged with. It requires commitment, a changed life. So they just change the requirements. Oh, we throw out the law. There's nothing to do. We just have faith and, and uh, love and grace. And, uh, you know, that's all we need. Just trust in Yahshua. Yeah, we trust in Yahshua. But what did Yahshua say? 
They don't look at that part. What did Yahshua teach? What did he live? They don't look at that part. Like the world, instead of fighting the constant war on drugs, like marijuana, they just make it legal. Oh, yeah, that, that solves the problem. Make it legal. Take away the standard. That's what they're saying with the scriptures. The problem is the consequences of law-breaking always remain. Ignore the standard doesn't solve anything. On the road to salvation, there's much of the culture and its allures that have to be left behind. And that's tough. Because a lot of enjoyment out there in life, even though it's just temporary and it doesn't last. And, you know, it, the, uh, the traveling, the uh, anticipation of the trip, sometimes, most of the time, turns out better than the destination. We look forward to things so much and we build it all up and yet kind of a... Uh, Downer when it's all said and done once we get there and it's not like we thought. Well, the same thing happens in life. Many people look for the smooth things, the wide road. The Bible is not an easy downhill ride. Everything it says demands the opposite, it seems. The prophets were hated for teaching Yahshua's truth and laws. They just hated them. Remember, Poor old Jeremiah was knocked to the ground because they didn't like what he said about prophecy of what's going to happen to the kingdom and the king. They didn't like that, so they beat the guy to the ground, kill the messenger. That, that solved the problem, didn't it? The apostles were scorned. Most, it's said historically, basically they all died untimely deaths. And of course, Yahshua the Messiah himself. He was unpopular with the religious establishment because he tried to show that they were wrong in what they were teaching. They didn't get the picture. They didn't understand what they were to do. They weren't there to build themselves up, to build an empire, to build. They were there to teach people truth, and they weren't doing it, and they hated him because he said so. And he called them names, pretty stringent, because they knew the truth and wouldn't preach it. Why did sepulchers, snakes, he called them. The road less traveled is a road for a select few. A select few. But then so is the prize. When you seek a priceless reward, the obtaining of it, of course, is challenging. Worthy of only the cream of the crop. The all-encompassing desire in today's culture is for ease and convenience. If it isn't expedient in all situations, most have no heart for it. No desire. They don't sacrifice or strive anything for it in life. They're willing to change their life and behavior. They're unwilling to do that, change their life pattern. The problem is that most of these professing Bible believers simply don't know the truth of the word, and they're afraid to look into it. And they've been taught in reverse. Isaiah 30, verse 10, foretold this, he says, Which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Tell the people who are preaching the word, don't, don't preach the word. I don't want to hear it. I get, we get a lot of that, um, frankly. But, you know, if Yahshua did, disciples did. You know, why are we any different? We're preaching the same thing, I hope, anyway. 
The prophet Jeremiah foretold today's erroneous teachings in 2326. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. You know, when you think about it, it all boils down to rebellion. Rebellion. They don't want to follow. They're following on the same track as began in the Garden of Eden. Rebel against Yahweh. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, a few years back, there was a, on the Home Improvement Network was a show called Yard Crashers. I don't know if you remember that. A landscaper goes to a home improvement store, you know, one of those mega stores where you can, uh, you know, a super hardware store, whatever you want to call it, and approaches shoppers there and tells them, hey, I have a proposal for you. I'll come to your house. Well, he, he, you know, he... There's a little conversation going on first, you know, what they're there for and what they're trying to do. And you say, oh, I got this, I got this leak in a faucet and, and whatever. Anyways, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll come to your house. What, what, what's your backyard like? He said, oh, it's really, really bad. I've been wanting to fix that up so long. He said, I'll come to your house and do that. I'll take a team of pros and I'll show up. And in two days, I'll transform your property like you won't believe. The only challenge is you've got to pitch in and help. Get a bunch of people together and come and help. It won't cost you anything. That was the kicker. They had to volunteer their own sweat. Other than that, no cost. They'll end up with a picture-perfect backyard free of charge. What is fun to watch is that most people won't take it. They won't take it. They turn him down. They simply don't believe him. Or they're too busy to invest a little personal time. Or they don't want the effort it takes to do that. In one episode, as he tries to persuade one lady at the checkout counter, there's another lady behind her saying, Do it! Do it! I know who he is! She didn't do it. (laughs) She refused. Sometimes we who carry this message of biblical exhortation feel like that yard crasher look look what you can inherit eternal life forever in the kingdom of Yahweh under Yahshua the Messiah forever this life will last 70 years and it's gone look what you can have just follow the truth how many are willing to do it we have a message that will change lives forever A promise Yahweh has given to those who take it. You can't put a price on it. All it takes is some commitment in your life. It's difficult to comprehend why so many turn it down. When it's all over, having rejected it, they will be kicking themselves like like the rich man, seeing Lazarus and the kingdom and himself shut out and saying, why didn't I take it? Why didn't I listen back then? Why didn't I hear the words of the Bible and not follow it? How come I didn't do that? What was wrong with me? And you're shut out. And that's it. There's no recourse. There's no do-overs. It's gone. That's it. You reject Yahweh. That's it. The saints, both historically and today, are the independent thinkers. Those who... Don't live for the moment. Don't live for the world because they have their eye on something better. Oh, they live in the world. We have to all live in the world. Scripture tells us that. But you don't have to be a part of it. 
We can be above it. We can be like, you know, another level above it and have a better goal, a better eyes, purpose. I once took a call from a man who had seen our promotion. We had a little video on, uh, but I speak English. And uh, he said he was deeply moved by the truth. In fact, while he was talking to me, he broke down right there on the phone. You know, truth is such a rare and priceless thing. The true-hearted person, the true-hearted are overwhelmed when they discover it. We have... We have some right now who just discovered the truth, and I mean, they are on fire. Sometimes us old stodgies need a little of that ourselves. I was telling uh, one of the elders called this week ago, and uh, I said, yeah, you know, sometimes a little kick in the pants does us a lot of good because we get kind of laid back and, you know, comfortable ourselves. But that pearl of great price, the land with the treasure on it that the man sold everything to purchase, That's what we want. Yahweh seeks those who desire with all their being to follow him. This is what we're talking about. For most, one of the biggest obstacles on the road to salvation is so subtle you hardly know it's there. In Matthew 13, 54 to 58, Mark 6, 1 to 6, Luke 4, 16 to 30, and John 4, 4, we learn that Yahshua came to his hometown of Nazareth came up against a situation I'm sure he didn't expect. He was met with hostility. His own hometown. On Sabbath, he enters a synagogue and teaches. Luke states that Yahshua performed a reading of scripture, then claimed he was the fulfillment of this prophecy of Isaiah 61. And the horrific crowd just could not believe it. His teachings... And they criticized him for being a lowly carpenter's son or himself, just another average person. The brother of James, Simon, Joseph, and Judas, they also mentioned his sisters, suggesting he wasn't anything special, just this old familiar guy who grew up here in Nazareth. How could he be the son of Yahweh? He rebukes them, saying, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. We know him. I grew up with him. What's so great about him? What's so honorable about him? Matthew states that Yahshua didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Their lack of faith, he says, Okay, I'll wipe my hands of these people. Or mostly, anyway. Their attitude, could it be that it stifled the spirit? I have to believe that. Or did Joshua see that their attitudes made his miracles pointless? I can see that too. What's the point? They're not going to believe it anyway. They're going to find some kind of answer outside of any spiritual moving. Mark says that Yasha did few miracles there except for healing some sick people. He found a few soft-hearted, kind-hearted people who wanted to know more. Luke's account says they drove him out of town to the top of a hill intending to throw him off, but he gets away. Something else we learn here. Whenever we endeavor to do something 
start a project, make dinner, whatever it might be, we generate a mess. We generate stuff, you know. Many don't like to take on home improvement projects for the mess that they must live with, even if it's just temporary, too much. I know in my family, we were always finishing homes. We were always living in a mess. I got used to it. You know, just blow the dust off and have a meal. But there was always a mess. My dad loved carpentry, so he was always finishing homes, doing this, making this change, making cabinets, I don't know, whatever. But some people, the disturbance really bothers them. They're bothered by disturbances. They want everything, all the ducks in a row, and everything predictable and comfortable. But you know, movement of anything can't exist without some kind of disturbance. A boat traveling through water makes a wake. You're not going to get around it. You're going to have a wake. My truck, when I drive it up and down, makes noise. I can't help it. I know the neighbors might bother them sometime, but uh, I got to put up with their lawn mowing, especially on the Sabbath. It makes a mess. You know, it creates disturbance. That's just the way things do when they're in motion. Let's face it. Progress and activity disrupt. We make waves when we preach the word to the world. We make waves, all right. We rattle comfort zones. Yahshua got a lot of people angry at him. It seems he's always had a contingent of religious people following him around, trying to find him making a misstep somewhere. Somewhere he's going to goof up, and we can nail him. And when they couldn't do that, they got their lawyers together and asked him questions that they sure would get him into a corner and make him look foolish. He just asked a question back at them. Uh, well, we don't know. You know, John the Baptist, what about him? Was he uh, legit or not? Well, they knew what would happen if they answered one way or the other, first with the people and then their own uh, desire not to follow him. So they just say, well, we don't know. We don't know. Okay, I'm not going to tell you either, he says. He made a lot of people angry. It seems he always had these people, but so did Paul. He had the same problem. So did all the apostles, which history says all met with untimely deaths. History says they were all put to, put to death. They weren't liked by the masses. But that didn't stop them. They kept on going because they know that this is the truth. I have no choice but to keep on going. We're watching the D-Day thing. I'm sure you probably saw it this past week. And how many hundreds of thousands of soldiers died that day invading France. And one guy, it was amazing, this guy's like 95. And he was talking about his experience, you know, going from the boat onto the shore and attacking, you know, the, the nests of uh, automatic weapons that the Germans were shooting at him. He, uh, he was supposed to have, uh, he was carrying a, a, a stand, I guess a tripod for one of the BAR, British, or Browning Automatic Rifles. Anyway, um, he got separated from the guy who had the gun. All he had was the stand. All he had was the tripod. And, of course, he was being inundated with, Shell fire, bullets everywhere. And he said, uh, they said, well, what, what were you thinking? He says, I had a mission, and I just had to keep on going. I didn't 
you know, I, I couldn't. I, people were falling all over around me, and I had to step over them and just keep going. That was my mission. I couldn't think of anything else. Can't turn around, go back. And you know, Yahweh's truth is the same way. Once you know, you can't go back. Because once you know, and Hebrews 6 did, once you know and turn your back on Yahweh's truth, that's it for you. That's it. Now we can fail here and there and then repent and come back. But once you reject it totally, you're done. You're done. Judas found that out. Yahshua said it better if that man had not even been born. Once you go back on Yahweh's word, so we have no choice. We have to keep on going. We've got to keep Yahweh's feast. We've got to keep his Sabbath. We've got to. We've got to keep pushing forward with the word. So if it makes people angry, I don't care. Um, I'm committed to this walk, and I hope you are too. Faith combined with desire, you know, can move mountains. You have the faith can move mountains. You can have all the desire in the world, but if you don't have faith to do something about it, then you're likely not going to act. And then what good is that faith? We have to be active in our faith. We have to do something in our walk. We don't just sit back and say, I have faith. That doesn't, that doesn't amount to anything. You've got to actually do something. Make a wake, you know. Create a wake. Or you'll be stopped by inertia, inactivity. What you're doing at rest, you're going to remain doing. In his parable of the wedding supper, in Matthew 22, Yahshua invited the ones to come. None came. They had other more pressing things in their life to do. They had other matters. One headed back to his farm. That was his comfort zone. Another to his business. Making a success in life was his big goal. I got a business to run. Another one, put his family first. I saw this week the head of Amazon, now the world's richest man, gave one bit of advice over all others in achieving success if you want to start a business. He said, you must be willing to try. You might fail, but you've got to try or nothing's going to happen. Step out and try. The second law of motion is illustrated in both the on-fire and lukewarm individual. On-fire is John the Baptist. That old guy out there, you know, <laughs> coming around a corner, biting off a head of a locust, eating wild honey, dressed like a caveman, I guess. That's what I always think of. That guy was on fire. He's consumed by his mission. Yahshua said there was no greater man than him. No greater man. He pushed constantly. You couldn't help being amazed and drawn to him. There was no greater individual on earth as far as his desire, his motivation, and what he did. How would you like to get that commendation from Yahshua himself? No greater man ever lived than this man here. The flip side is the lackadaisical, the lukewarm Laodicean, the dabbler, the minimal fulfiller, just doing enough to squeak by. That should, they should be happy with that. I have other things to do. These are those who think that giving or doing a little now and then really excites Yahweh. 
makes him just want to reward them handsomely. The problem with the Laodicean is that others have to carry his load. There's not enough momentum in his legs to get him moving, let alone serve others. So he's a drag on everyone else. And Yasha will spew him out of his mouth, he says. Well, Newton's third law of motion is every action has an equal and opposite reaction. No action equals no movement. There's one way to ensure you never make any mistakes. One way is certain. Don't do anything. Don't do everything, anything ever. Sit in your rocking chair and fritter away your life. Safe, secure, no criticism from anybody, nor any reason to like you either. Safe, secure, and a complete waste of life. A life that adds up to zero has no impact on anyone. What are they going to do to change anybody, to change the world, to change anything? No progress, no reward. Just go out, dig up your talent, hand it back to Yahshua and say, hey, I kept it safe for you. You can have it back. Yeah, that's going to please him. Throw the work worthless slave out into outer darkness, Yahshua said. You took your gift of life and made nothing of it. Did nothing with it. Why should I reward you? You just hear him, you know. If you want to be a profitable servant, pleasing to Yahweh, and receive great rewards, first you've got to get off your hindquarters. Heads you win, tails you lose. Get bold, stand for truth, shake the earth, or at least your corner of it. Do something, make your life worth something. Take action, not just one, but lots of actions. For those who say they don't have time or are too busy, Allow me to speak plainly. If you were dying of thirst somewhere, just, just about at the end, and you keep making excuses, saying you were too busy to go up and fill a glass of something to drink, would you say you didn't have time to walk over and help your life survive, to grab a bottle of water? Of course not. Our natural instinct makes us prioritize certain things, like finding water first above all else, no matter when the consequences might be what you didn't expect. You're going to get water no matter what because your life depends on it. We live in a world where excuses are made all day long, and we arrive at a point where we think making excuses is now socially acceptable. Socially acceptable. If you've got a child that makes excuses for not doing this or that or helping out, break that right away because they're going to grow up with that. Making excuses all the time for themselves. That's not acceptable. You may fool some of the people some of the time, but excuses don't work with Yahweh. They weren't what Yasha was all about. He showed us that fact with the man who buried his talent. Excuses are just cover-ups for inertia. Merely a disguise to fool ourselves that standing for truth and telling the world about Yahweh, about his son and the salvation we can have is just way down on our priority list. Excuses are a bad habit. They say a bad habit, for, to, to break a bad and overcome a bad habit takes about 21 days. Three weeks. 
If you can get that far, you're well on your way to overcoming it. That's where the hard effort comes. Once we are there, it just takes some light maintenance here and there, overcome just a little bit of temptation or whatever it might be to get back into the thing, and we'll keep us habit-free. How about Yahweh's people? Take one bad habit at a time and eliminate it in your life. Whether you're a parent with kids that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing and you just kind of overlook it because you're just tired, you're working six jobs and you just can't do it, well, you got to do something or the next life is going to have a problem and it's going to be your child's. You've got to get a handle on it. You've got to make them do things that they may not want to do. And, you know, if they're in a habit of resisting, they're going to keep resisting. You just keep coming back and you force them to do what they need to do until they finally realize it. How about living a dynamic life of influencing another about Yahweh's truth? How about doing something to help somebody else understand the truth? Get in there. Get in their life and talk to them a little bit. <clears throat> there was a brother who's very good at that. <clears throat> he, uh, he actually went into a Christian bookstore here in Holt Summit and started talking to the guy. A couple, couple exposures, but he did it a couple days. And... Uh, the guy closed up, closed up on Saturday. Then he closed up his shop. He says, I can't continue selling these books that aren't preaching truth. And I'm going to keep the Sabbath. Just because one of our number went over there and talked to him. said, did you know that you're worshiping on the wrong day? The fourth commandment spells it out as clear as a bell. Six days you labor, the seventh day you rest. And at first, he kind of resisted, like most people do. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's, a, know, that's what my church teaches, and that's what I've been doing. And then he got to thinking about it. Probably went home and looked it up in one of the Bibles he was selling. No, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take much sometimes. Make a comment here, a comment there, and uh, you never know. You're spreading seeds, planting the seeds of truth. And Yahweh says, well, Paul said, I planted Apollos watered, and Yahweh gave the increase. You don't have to force the increase. Yahweh will take it from there. But you've got to open the eyes. Once the eyes are open, there's an avenue. There's an avenue that can follow that path. Make life profitable for someone and for yourself, of course, for the glory of Yahweh. And you'll live a better, more fulfilling life yourself. Guaranteed. May Yahweh bless you.